any artists in the room? You're an artist. You create things. You paint paintings. Lift them high. Okay. I'm not an artist. When I was in the 10th grade, a buddy of mine and I decided that we were going to take art class for maybe an easy A. And uh, little did I know that turning in, literally turning in stick figures as art was going to get me an A. I thought that would get me an A. I'm trying, man. And uh, the, at the end of the semester, I got a D in art. And the teacher told me, he said, um, I would have given you an F, but I've never failed somebody in art, so I'm going to keep my streak alive and I'm going to give you a D. My dad didn't even get mad about that D. He might have got mad at the B in gym class that I skipped class too much. But anyway, I grew up. Don't worry about it. Uh, in an article titled, How to Tell When Your Painting is Finished, artist Lisa Takahashi, she writes the following. This, I found this interesting. Finishing a work of art is often the hardest part of the process. How can you tell when your work is finished? And more importantly, how can you avoid overworking and ruining your work? She said two things. Keep this in mind for the whole message today. That you have to start with a vision of what you want that painting to look like. You have to see it beforehand before you ever even start painting. Made me think of the creation story. God had a vision for creating the heavens and the earth and for creating people. He had a vision for it. He called it good when he was done. He said, this is good. This is my masterpiece. And then she used these, second thing was two words, control and chaos. That you have to be under control, but you have to be okay with the chaos of the unfinished part of your painting. You have to be okay with that chaos. Well, what did God do in the creation story, right? Out of chaos says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and that the, the spirit was hovering over the earth and the waters were in chaos, so to speak. So out of chaos, God creates his masterpiece. So after I was thinking this through a little bit, I, I went out on the Google. Do you ever go out on the Google? I, I went out on the Google and I just typed in pic, pictures of un, images of unfinished masterpieces. There are pieces of art that famous artists started, but they, they never completed them. The first one is of our founding fathers. You see that? They never finished that. Good idea, but never complete. Next one's George Washington. Good old George. And then the third one I found was by Leonardo da Vinci. It's the, the magi coming to visit the baby Jesus, but he never finish that. And not to sound corny, but do you ever feel unfinished? Anybody aware of your under construction? Yeah. Do things that you regret? Say things that you regret? Think on things that you end up regretting? I think I'm in the right room to say I'm there. The older I get and the longer I walk with Jesus, the more aware I am of the fact I'm under construction by God. I'm, I'm unfinished. I'm unfinished. I got good news. You want some good news? He will not let you and I go unfinished. He's not going to get a D or F concerning our lives. 
He's not. He is going to finish the work that he started in each one of our lives. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Such an awesome promise. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Do you feel like a masterpiece? Feel unfinished? I feel you. And yet he's going to finish what he started. I feel more like a stick figure painting most of the time. I'm aware of that. But he is working in and through our lives through his spirit. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. That was the last things that he said through his life and death and resurrection. He finished his work. He, he finished his work. It was complete. He did that. God accomplished in Jesus what we could never do for ourselves. He did that through Jesus. I've titled today's message, It is Finished, But We Are Not. His work is complete, but his work in us is not complete. And yet he already has a vision for each one of us looking forward to that day when we will fully be complete in the life to come. So we're in a series called Whosoever Believes. And what we're doing is we're going through the letters of the New Testament, going from Romans through Revelation. And today it's 1 Thessalonians. And what we're doing in each one of these messages is we're trying to, to mine for the crescendo passages in these so that we understand the context of these letters and we read our Bibles better and we can interpret Scripture better and apply it to, to our lives. And that's first, first and second Thessalonians, Th Thessalonica is a city in Greece that Paul, like he, he always did in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul was sent out by Jesus to bring the good news to the ends of the earth, the known world at the time. And so in Acts 17, he goes to Thessalonica and he did, does what he did every city he would go in. He would go and he would find the Jewish synagogue. And he would go and he would talk to the, to the Jewish people about the finished work of Jesus from the Hebrew Scriptures or what we call the Old Testament. And then he would go to the Gentiles or the non-Jews and he would share with them the good news about Jesus. And they would start a church and that church, would Paul would stay there for a period of time and he would educate them, disciple them, walk with them, and then he would raise up other pastors and teachers and leaders and servants, and then he would go on and uh, start, start another church. And then he, but he would write letters of encouragement often back to those churches or if they had questions. And the unique part about First and Second Thessalonians is the, the Thessalonians thought that they had missed the second coming of Jesus. They, they, they thought Jesus was going to come in their lifetime. And people in the church began to die. And they were like, what's going on? I thought Jesus was going to return before any of us died. And so Paul is straightening out their, their understanding of the second coming. And both of these letters are very have an end times-ish vibe to them. And after he teaches them in the, the first five chapters, there's five chapters in 1 Thessalonians, he crescendos with this blessing. And I'm going to teach from this, this blessing that he's, he says to them. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. 
And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Wow. It's finished, but what's going on here with us in our lives and in in this life? Notice he used the word sanctify. To sanctify something, biblically speaking, is to set it apart. So you and I have been sanctified because of the gospel. We're being sanctified, and we will ultimately be sanctified. You can use the word saved. I was saved, I'm being saved, I will be saved. Past, present, and future tense. I wrote a little short little uh, description of what sanctification is, because I don't want that to just be some big seminary theological word. I want us to be able to embrace what that word means when you read it in the Bible. Sanctification is the process of becoming like Jesus in how we think, act, and speak. Jesus is the model life, right? He was always in connection with his Father. He didn't sin, and yet he was in a human body, just like, just like ours, and yet without sin. Sanctification is transformation, I'm going to use that word. Do you like how I'm saving the plastic thing there? Didn't know if anyone noticed that. It's hard to drink, though. (laughs) Surprised it didn't splash in my eyes. Sanctification is the byproduct of our discipleship unto Jesus. It's a byproduct. As you follow Jesus and put into practice how he says to live, you're being changed. You're being transformed. We need to think of sanctification as being the lifelong remodeling project of God over our lives. We're under construction. It's finished, but not yet. You ever, you go to DIA or a place where they're remodeling, um, what's that? If you go to the airport and they're remodeling, they say, excuse our mess. I think we all need t-shirts that say, hey, God's still at work, excuse my mess, right? It's learning how to, live out practically our position in Christ. The amazing things, when Paul talks about who we are in Christ, he's talking about us being in the kingdom of God as a present tense uh, promise, declaration over our lives. So I want to talk about from this passage the process of our transformation through a series of questions. First of all, who does the transforming? Who's going to take responsibility for the the transformation. What is God's part in this transformation? He said, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. God's taken ultimate responsibility for our transformation. That doesn't mean we don't participate. That doesn't mean that, that we just sit back and wait for him to do a magic trick on us and zap us into becoming like Jesus. Wouldn't that be great? It's like popcorn. You put it in the microwave, and boom, you get your popcorn. God puts us in his microwave. Boom, out comes Jesus, and we think, act, and speak like him. It's work. It's, it, this is work. Following Jesus is the greatest thing there is, but it's not the easiest thing. When you look at his things, how he said the way of the kingdom is, that's not easy. It's counterintuitive to our, our, our natural natures. Second question I want to ask is, what is being transformed. What's being transformed? What is being sanctified? What's being transformed? Well, he said, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete. Like everything about you and I, he wants set apart. 
He wants to be, it to be transformed. And I think about when he says your body, like this body that you have and that I have, it has an expiration date. It's not going to live forever. That's the promise of the resurrection is we're going to get new bodies. And how many of us old farts are looking forward to that new body, right? A body without sin, without sickness, you know, without sorrow, without death. That's what he has promised to us. So what is he talking about here? Spirit, soul, we get that. But what about our bodies? Because by nature, we follow our, the impulses of our flesh. You practically, you eat when you're hungry. You sleep when you're tired. And when it comes to other God-given instinctual things like sexuality or lust, we have to learn to control those types of impulses, just like we do with not overeating and all that kind of stuff. It's learning to control our bodies, the Apostle Paul talks about. So sanctification is the process of learning to follow Jesus rather than your flesh. It's the process of learning to follow Jesus rather than my feelings or my emotions. He gets to have the lead in our lives. And as we do that, we're being transformed. Anybody ever had your house remodeled or you had a house that was being built and you waited in for that and it seemed like forever the anticipation of finally moving back into your home or back into to your new home? So it's a process. Years back, um, we had a roof problem at our house and we share a paired home. So there's one wall that separates the two homes in our house and there was a roof problem and the builders sent out some engineers to inspect our attic and see what the problem was. And as they were inspecting the attic, they found something that didn't have anything to do with the roof. There's a, the, a firewall that's supposed to have an inch on each side. And somebody took a shortcut when they built our particular area, and they only had a quarter of an inch on each side. And by law, they said, this isn't up to code. You, this has to be fixed. So on the builder's dime, um, they had to come into our house and take down this whole wall that separated the two homes and redo it for an inch. <laughs> and we, it was kind of fun because for six weeks we were out of our house while they were remodeling. They paid for us to go on vacation. I know, I was terrible. And they, they paid for us. We had a little like condo in Old Town, Arvada, and um, it was nice. But you know what? As fun as all that was, I was ready to go home. We were ready to get back into our home. Each one of us, whether we realize it or not, you're longing for your real home. You're longing for that ultimate transformation and the completion of that. So here's a good question. When will our transformation be complete? When will that happen? Um, he says, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. We're not finished until Jesus comes, returns, and, and he's going to remake the heavens and the earth. Sometimes people have the wrong idea that heaven is this ethereal place that we're going to float around with harps and it's going to be really boring and we're going to just sing kumbaya forever and ever. That's not what the ultimate reality of what eternity is about. We're going to live on this earth. 
with Jesus, King Jesus reigning. And we're going to have jobs and we're going to know one another. And it's going to be amazing. Great golf courses in the new heavens and earth. I guarantee it. But for us right now, we're anticipating that. We're going to get new bodies that are like Jesus. Jesus entered in in the incarnation into humanity. He, he had a body just like you and I that was subject to cold and hot. And when he ate garlic, he got bad breath. He had to use the restroom. All the things that we experience, he felt pain. But when he rose from the dead, he had a glorified body that cannot die. And when we rise at the resurrection, we're going to get bodies that cannot die. You looking forward to that? I know it sounds weird, right? And it just seems so out there. But that's our hope. The hope of the resurrection is what we're banking on. So let's get this practical. How does transformation happen? How does this happen? What's our part in this sanctification transformation piece? Philippians 2 says that work out your salvation with fear and trembling knowing that it is God who is at work in you. So he's saying, you participate, God's taking responsibility for the ultimate changes in our life. There's going to be three things that we can do to participate in this transformation. The first one is to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. We have one God as Trinitarian Uh, trinitarians one god in three persons the father the son and the holy spirit this father son and spirit has been an eternal relationship of other-centered love from eternity past to eternity future and jesus came to share that relationship with us and to bring us into his relationship with his father and he does that through the person of the holy spirit you've been given the Holy Spirit to be with you 24-7. You don't have to ask for more of the Spirit. He needs more of me. He needs more of you. You are the temple of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's good news. And He's there to, to help us in this life, to comfort us and to teach us. Paul told the church in Galatia, he said, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Let me camp there for a second. I see three things in that. That there's a promise. He says, walk in the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Then I see a principle. You know, walk in the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. It's a principle. Then I see a precept or a command. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not... um, give way to the desires of the flesh. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When the opposite of these fruits is showing up in our lives, we can know we're not walking in that moment by the Spirit, right? It's just, it's a simple principle there. If I'm, if, for example, love, if I'm indifferent or I don't care about somebody or I'm judgmental, I'm not walking in love, I'm doing the exact opposite and not walking in the spirit. Joy, the opposite of joy is depression and discouragement. 
And so I need to learn how do I fight through that by giving way to the Holy Spirit to produce joy in the midst of bad circumstances sometimes. How about peace? What's the opposite of peace? It's anger. It's anger. I was thinking deeply about this one. And I thought, you know, I'll have the mic. And as your pastor, I'm going to confess some deep sin in my life. I hate grasshoppers. I hate bugs. They get the absolute, you thought something deep was coming. How dare you? I'm just kidding. Um, I got my own stuff. Um, but when I go on my walks, there's, right now the season of bugs is at crazy madness. Anybody relate? Like the mosquitoes. And we have these little grasshoppers. They're like red right now, and they click when they jump. And they are aggressive, more aggressive than Mike Tyson, man. They are all up in your face. And, and, and I, I call them names. Like it just comes out of me, the anger. I'm actually calling a grasshopper a bad name. They pray for me because I can't get delivered from this. It's, I am all the time on my walks, Father, I'm so sorry. Father, I'm so sorry. And he's like, if you're sorry, shut up. But I can't seem to win this battle. It is, pray for me. It's terrible. I go home and tell Janelle, like, I did it again. And like, so I'm trying to avoid them and just stay in the streets rather than the fields. They chase me off, man. Anywho, what's the opposite of patience? impatience, the opposite of kindness, being mean, the opposite of goodness, badness, faithfulness. What's the opposite? To be unfaithful. The opposite of gentleness is outbursts of intimidation and anger. That's not walking in the Spirit. So if we learn to walk in the Spirit, then we're going to learn how to be like Jesus and we'll be transformed. When we learn to walk in the Spirit, we experience that. Second thing is walk in the truth. To experience transformation is to walk in the truth. The truth is reality, right? Truth is reality. And the truth is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the truth. He is reality. I don't care what the world or media or anybody else has to say. Jesus is reality. He is rea- reality. He said this. To, he said, if you continue in my word then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. How does the truth make us free? How does his truth make us free? I think it starts with what we call a worldview. Everybody has a worldview. An atheist, other religions... The guy in the middle of nowhere in Africa, everybody has a worldview. And a worldview is a set of lenses that we put on to interpret life and reality and purpose from. How do we determine what life is really about? What is God like? What am I supposed to be? What, how do we see one another? That's a worldview. And what I would encourage all of us in walking in the truth to experience transformation is live in the worldview of Jesus Christ, not the worldview of of the world around us. What was the worldview of Jesus when you read his biographies in the four gospels? How did he interpret life? How does he see life? That's so important, a Jesus worldview. 
That's walking in the truth, and that will we'll experience transformation in that. And then I think we walk in the truth when we put into practice how Jesus says to live. Jesus said some hard things. He said things like, forgive one another. Forgive even the most difficult of sins that are done against you. To find it in your heart to forgive. I mean, no, that's not easy. But he said, forgive as the Lord forgave you. He said, pray for those who persecute you. I want to punch them in the face, not pray for them, right? Let's be honest. Someone's hostile with you. You want to be hostile back. It just stirs you up. But the Jesus way is counterintuitive to the way of our flesh, our reactionary behaviors that we we do. And here's the one that I think is the hardest command Jesus said to follow. Love your enemies. Does that include Dodger fans? I guess it does. But seriously, an enemy is someone who's hostile towards you, someone who's opposing you. That can be in your own home. That can be in your marriage momentarily. That could be in your family. That could be at your school. How do you love your enemies? That sounds like a a big command, Jesus. I found this story that this guy wrote about. He went to, to Lebanon in the Middle East. learning a lesson up here Um, he went to to go study a church in a community in Lebanon a Christian church because if you know the history Syria which is the country north of Lebanon they have a history of conflict and there's a history of when the Syrians had more power of totally persecuting the Lebanese people and and then Syria had a civil war recently. And in that civil war, if you weren't with the leaders and the government, they were driving you out. And many of them became refugees trying to find you know, a place of refuge. And many of them were going into Lebanon, their former enemy, to find refuge. And this guy said that he was sitting you know, in a church service and the pastor said, his, told his story, and he said, my father was killed by Syrians. Then he heard a woman say that she stood at gunpoint before Syrian soldiers as I held my baby and prayed for God to take me first. And then a church leader recalled this, this entire town was under siege by the Syrians for a hundred days with no food or medical supplies allowed to pass. That's enemy's stuff going on there. Then he said, as he got to know the people a little bit of this church and of this community, he said that the pastor whose father was killed has a church that reaches out to thousands of Syrian families. A few weeks ago, he invited one of the Syrian refugees to come up front in the church service as he washed that Syrian man's feet to demonstrate love and humility and forgiveness. He calls this enemy love. What does enemy love look like? The woman who pr- prayed at gunpoint about her being going first, she is part of a church that cares for 500 displaced Syrian families. 
She has her own family she visits. Every week she has teas, tea with her enemies, who, of course, are not now her enemies anymore. And then they have in that church a place where they just take care of like 2,000 of those refugees. That's enemy love. We don't know that here in the West. We don't know what enemy love truly looks like. We think if someone opposes us and, and we're nice to them, I mean, that's a start. But we've never experienced that, I doubt. I mean, if you have, then I'd love to hear your story. But that's what Jesus has in mind when he talks about loving your enemies, putting into practice what he says to do. The, the lady at gunpoint said that it was so difficult to go through what she did, but to learn to love her enemies has transformed her and been a complete blessing in her life. Walk in the Spirit, walk in the truth, and then walk in love. Let's take this a little bit further. Walk in love. In 1 Corinthians 13, it's a famous, you know, the love chapter, right? And 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. In the message translation, it's a little colorful version, he says, but for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation, that being finished. Trust or have faith steadily in God, hope unswervingly, and love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. The greatest definition of love is God himself. God is love. But the Apostle Paul gives an attempt to define what love is in, the first, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. It says this, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love will last forever. When I read that chapter, when you read that, I, I realize how I fail, how we all fail at that definition of love. But the failure doesn't stop us from, tr from learning how to cooperate with God and learning how to truly love like He does. Because God is love. He's the definition of love. God is patient. God is kind. He's not jealous or proud, etc. It's the definition of love is the definition of God. So what do we need? We need grace. We need grace in our life. If you have a struggle or a ha some habitual stuff going on in your life, Titus chapter 2 says that the grace of God has appeared to all men, and the grace there is Jesus because Jesus is the grace of God. The grace of God has appeared to all humanity, teaching us to say no to ungodliness. It's not me and you trying harder to fight these battles. It's the grace of God and embracing the grace of God and allowing the Spirit to lead us. When I was on a walk the other day, I saw this little guy, this little caterpillar. Now look at him. He's nasty, man. He was moving really fast. He's all hairy and 5,000 legs. And, and uh, he was booking it across the sidewalk pretty good. He had some speed. But um, 
you know what? That guy or gal, I don't know how you determine sex on a caterpillar, but he is going to go make his way and instinctually go make a cocoon, weave a cocoon, and stay in that cocoon for the right amount of time. And it's just, he's cooperating with, with nature. He's cooperating with, with how his creator made him. And ultimately, at the right time, he will, he will go from this gross little caterpillar to this, right? I think that process is insane, cool, like, good on you, God. You are an incredible artist, and your handiwork is amazing. To go from this little sluggish dude to, boom, a beautiful butterfly. Well, you and I are in the cocoon right now. We're no longer caterpillars. We've been transformed by the gospel and become followers of Jesus. And now he's working in us. And one day we'll be like burst out of the cocoon and be like that beautiful butterfly is the way God intended it to be. And the way he's intended us, it's going to happen. He who is, he is faithful to do it. Do you believe that today? Here's the thing. We got to cooperate with him. Don't fight him. He's gentle and humble and has your very best interest at heart. We have this picture of God that we've been told that he's angry. God's the most joyful uh, God we could ever know. We think he's just angry and ticked off at us. No, he's a good father. He's the perfect father. And he wants what's best for each one of us. He's going to do it. Our part is we can... Do it the hard way or the easy way? We're going to learn the hard way or we're going to learn following him instead of our flesh and our feelings in that. He's going to finish it. We're going to sing a song. We're going to respond to his message with a song. And it's the, just let the, the words of this song minister to you as you're realizing, hey, I'm not finished. I got issues. But Jesus is on, he's on duty. He's going to do what he promised to do in each one of us as we cooperate with him and his spirit. Father, as we go into this song, help us to experience your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up together.
Cause your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. And I just want to speak. Your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life. And break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. Cause your name is healing your name is life and break every stronghold shine through the shadows burn like a fire shout Jesus from the mountains Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over every enemy And Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus Shout Jesus from the mountains Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over stronghold shine through the shadows burn like a fire your name is power your name is healing your name is life break every stronghold shine through the shadows
if you, uh, if you think about it this week, keep in your prayers. We have a, a small team of folks from Novation that went to the Dominican Republic and are serving on a medical uh, mission thing this week and sharing the gospel and loving on some folks. So keep them in your prayers. They get home safe. They're already doing some, some good stuff. But Jesus did the good stuff when he came for us, and he's the best. And if you haven't agreed with him that he is Lord and Savior, my encouragement is do that now. Just agree with him. That's what faith is. It's coming into agreement with God's word, his promises, what he tells us to do and not to do. And agree with him and trust him and follow him. As we as a community begin individually and corporately continue to put into practice what he said to do, we'll be transformed. Moving, moving from that caterpillar into the cocoon to the ultimate consummation one day of becoming like Jesus. Father, as we leave from here today, may that burn in our hearts. May you burn in our hearts. Burn off all the false ideas we have about you and ourselves and others. We want to walk in the spirit, walk in your truth, and to be people of love to love like you, Jesus. Thank you for every person here. Lord, there's difficulties and struggles and trials that people are going through. May we experience grace, healing, and joy in Jesus' name. Amen.